This episode of Hundy Camp Down Under is brought to you by Ridgeline. Ridgeline have just released their new performance range, featuring brand new styles and high performance fabrics for winter 2020. One of the highlights is the new Ascent Jacket for men and women. The new Ascent Soft Shell Jacket is designed for use as a performance layering piece and has been rigorously tested in the South Island of New Zealand. The new Ridgeline performance range features a new Realtree Escape camouflage print. It fits into the environment you hunt in and the colours appear to adapt to the terrain. All the new gear is available in Australia and New Zealand and for your local stockist, check out the website www.ridgelineclothing.com.au This episode is proudly brought to you by Zeiss Optics. The legendary Zeiss binoculars are founded on exceptional optical performance, outstanding ergonomics and robust construction. Zeiss innovations have constantly expanded the limits of what's technically possible. Generations of hunters and shooters swear by their Zeiss binoculars, being heirloom quality products that are passed down from generation to generation, together with the stories that came with them. Experience the Zeiss Victory SF, the most versatile premium binoculars in the company's 165 year history. Find your local stockist at www.osaustralia.com.au. With the crazy world we live in today, many of us seek the adventure of the unknown. Join us everyday Aussies from all walks of life share stories from men and women of all hunting camps. From tips and techniques to the emotional rollercoaster ride of fulfilling a lifelong dream, there is a story to be told by all. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. <laughs> oh, I can watch a little monitor, so mine's peaking. Oh, there That's better. The fire's pretty hot. It's, it's quite warm indeed. We're cooking. I had to move back a little bit. I had to protect my uh, first light thermals that make me look like I'm wearing leggings. <laughs> I feel like I've been trying to pull out prickles all day. It's very grassy. Pull your prickle or pull out prickles? <laughs> That's a quick job. Well, I'm sitting beside a campfire with the two uh, sole members of Dub Tech Hunting. I didn't play that. Zub Tech Hunting. You can say however you please. Jared and Nick. How you going, boys? Very well. Life is good. Very cosy in front of this fire. We're up in Warialda, up on um, a pretty good hunting block, pre-drought. Uh, pre yep. It's, it seemed to have taken a hit, but I'm um, sitting around a nice warm fire, having some nice drinks, actually. But um, you guys have just had a pretty good afternoon, actually. Actually, I hung around here and talked to Timmy. And we sort of let you guys wander off. We had to get knock a podcast over, but so what do we just what did we get up to this afternoon? Well, there's a series of five properties here running east to west, and we went to the most easterly property, which historically really does produce the goods. But I did a run around there when I first got here on Wednesday, and there was bugger all fresh sign. But there is a bloody good creek walk there. There's always crops there every year. Last year there wouldn't have been because of the drought. Um, 
but there's a creek walk that has produced goods for us on a number of occasions and Guz and I love doing our creek walks. It's uh, something you can do any time of the day. You can take your time. You don't necessarily have to worry about the wind as much because often you want to flush them. So get them out of their thick stuff so you can get a shot at them. But um, we set off probably 4.30 we started the walk. Um, we saw the odd lone bore track from when it last rained. So there's pigs moving through that area, but nothing fresh. And uh, we got to a high point on the creek and saw three dead cows that were festering in the, very slowly, in winter conditions. And we half thought about sitting up there and just watching them, but none of them were split, so the pigs probably wouldn't be able to get into them. It would have been attracted to them. We almost sat down. I mean, we did sit down. You sat down. I sat down because we made the half decision to sit and wait, and then within two minutes we'd change that decision. Yeah, and... Uh, what, what made you change the decision? Uh, we've hunted that spot a couple of times and the next little stretch we know has always been very productive and so we were thinking about a couple of things we were thinking about are the dead cows an attractant we looked at them they weren't split at all they were just festering and they were just bulging so we thought the pigs wouldn't actually be feeding off them they'd be attracted to the scent but not necessarily you know represent a free meal so we thought that was one thing that you know we thought you know might not be the best bait um, and attract the pigs out for a feed and then you know I was looking at this next bend and I've had quite a bit of luck on a few hunts on that next bend so I was just you know it was a bit of FOMO. Yeah it was it gets a better of you a lot of the time in hunting I think <clears throat> Nick and I practice a lot of patience but there was a bit of FOMO today and it turned out to be worthwhile because we, we only walked down this, the high point to probably 200 metres and Nick had to um, empty his bladder and I was, I don't know, 50 metres in front of him. In probably the worst place. Oh yeah, but it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't too problematic, but as he was doing that, I was just looking dead ahead and I just heard a <laughs> bit of a uh, pig that squeal. That was pretty good. Was that good? The that com- was pretty good. Yeah, okay, good. You should do that more often. Oh, well, when we, when we go to bed. In the morning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, Nick didn't hear because he was... Yeah, no, I heard it. Oh, did you? Yeah, okay. I heard it. I turned around straight away. I heard it. I was like, ooh. And um, he quickly finished his business, but they... Peed all over your boots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and this is a very... I, I did... Uh, I'm going to have to come clean that I had my head cam on. Uh, initially, I thought I accidentally turned it off. I didn't. It ran out of battery. It would have been two minutes before the shot. But uh, it's a very narrow creek line with grass either side. Crop, cropping either side of that or one um, side? There's no crop there now. It's just grass at the moment. Um, but you, we can only get, like, you'd, it's actually full of water at the moment. So crossing it was not an option. So we had to rely on the pigs coming out on our side, which t- they tend to do so because there's very thick cover, a big runaway, whereas the other way there's a, there's a road. And we walked past where I thought they were, um, we also took a bigger, wider angle because the wind wasn't great. But we also we also stopped when we heard the noise and we thought, all right, have we just spooked them, scented them? Well, that's we true, yeah. Check, check the wind. And I thought to myself, when I sort of ducked over the little creek line and looked at the creek, I thought, I didn't hear any splashing. And I've hunted that creek. That's a good point. When pigs have been on the retreat 
and you've heard the splash as the pigs jump into the creek to cross it. The other way. The other way. So I thought if pigs were retreating, there's water in the creek, we probably would have heard a splash. Mm. Mm. But go on. But yeah, so we took a wider angle and, and came up pretty slowly. And then as the sort of change of the, the curvature of the creek, the, the wind was less of a problem. And Nick got in to the near side of the creek. I, I stayed away a bit in case one ran out. And I was probably 50 metres ahead of Nick and uh, or maybe not that much. And I just saw two pigs just come out of the thick stuff on the very edge of the bank of the creek. Um, I saw one was a bigger one. So I quickly turned around and we, <laughs> our typical signal to each other is a, either a or a whistle. I don't ever use a voice for obvious reasons. And uh, when I turned back, we were, you know, both switched on, ready to shoot. This, these pigs were 50 metres from me and the boar raised his head because the wind wasn't perfect, as I mentioned. And uh, I took that opportunity, actually. The red dot on the Suaro was... <laughs> On for some reason, which I was glad about, and I put it right in his eyeball and shot him. And then you tell what happened after that, Mish. Uh, Did you know there was two pigs? No. At this point, in time? I, I could. So my view was, I saw Jared excited. Yeah, excited. <laughs> he was. So I saw that my view was Jared standing there, and then I saw a pig past him. I saw the head of the pig, and Jared's looking at me at this point. I'm like, why are you looking at me? Because I wanted Look to make at, sure you were in on it. I was, I was watching. I was alert. But he's looking at me. I'm like, I'm pointing in, pointing at the picture. Shoot it. Just shoot the this thing. This is, this is like, this all happened within like a second. This was, well, this was just, you know, one of those moments that you're kind of communicating without talking. And I was just like, shoot the thing. Well, yeah, tele- telepathy's not working that day. Yeah, exactly. But um, I knew he was onto it, and. A second later, he he fired the shot, and um, I was pretty confident, you know, that he'd get the pig. And then a second later, I heard movement, and one one pig I saw coming straight at me, and then I heard a few other little piglets kind of um, run around, but didn't see any. Just un- just unzip yeah. Unzip your neck because it's rubbing on the stubble on your chin. I can hear it in the mic. I just, just too much of a man. I'll just take some clothes off. Not <laughs> I'll just <laughs> take some clothes off. Because <laughs> I just, just shaved for six months. That's how much it grows in six <laughs> just, months. Just, just clarifying, I can't grow facial hair, so that stubble that you're talking about is probably a few whiskers. <laughs> That's his full beard. <laughs> this is months of growth. <laughs> Hard work. That's a compliment for <laughs> but him. But thank though. you. I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate it. So, yeah, so I see this pig literally coming straight for me. And luckily, I mean, we we, we both are in the habit of winding our scopes right down for these um, creek So walks. down to a, a six power? Or it was a four. Four power. Oh, yeah, so five, I'm, a f- yeah. I'm a four to 12, so I just had it wound all the way down to four um, because, you know, we've made that mistake in the past of not, you know, thinking about it before a walk or before a hunt and, and setting it to the right magnification. But luckily we had, you know, a thought about it, wound it all the way down. But when a pig's coming straight at you and literally, you know, Closing in on 30 yards, even a four power can feel like too much. Yeah. So I'm there just thinking. Just fills the scope. Yeah, it just fills the scope. So I'm thinking, uh, what do I do right now? Anyways, probably about 10 yards before me, the the, the, the pig just 
you know, hits a hard right, which is going towards my left and, and pretty much hit the fence straight away. Goes through the fence and then starts moving, you know, down the fence line. So pretty much broadside um, to me, but he's just fanging it, going going full out. So lined him up, took two shots that missed, and then the third one when it's, you know, legging it probably, I don't know, definitely over 100, yep. 100 metres away. Probably it's getting it's running faster and it's further away. And you're like, yeah, faster, get my further. Shit together now. And I knew I had one more shot in the, in the mag because I have a three-shot mag. I'm like, I better make this one count. And so I just lined it up, shot, and then straight after I shot, I just said, "Ree, ree!" Should we put that in, or should it just be that you took the shot and you got it? <laughs> no, no, no. Well, I'd... it's in there. Don't get edited. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> pretty good sign that I that I hit it. So I was... no, I, I've, I've heaps of pigs that do that and then die seconds later anyway. That, mm. That's what yeah, the squeals, the go. Like yeah, when you bow honey, hey, you you hear a big boar squeal when you smack him. You know you've hit him good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, should I wouldn't say... know that I haven't hit them. <laughs> <laughs> I should say the whole time. So because I was ahead of Guzzo and this pig was running at him from my direction. There was some magnificent muzzle awareness and muzzle control that Guzzo undertook in that process because he didn't even attempt to line it up before it took that hard, it ran hard, right? Because I was in front of him. So mm. he, was, oh, he couldn't take that shot until it, it had pulled yeah, clear. And he and he's, it didn't even try. The, the, the muzzle was completely down as he was swiveling watching it. And then as soon as it was clear of me, he swung. And uh, I was very grateful for that. So thank you. <laughs> So, so this this block you're on now, if mm. anyone's following follows up tech hunting on on uh, Instagram or social media, you do a bit of thermal, and this yes. this is one of the, your fave thermal blocks. It is indeed. Um, so it's currently after the the rain, they've planted oats and barley, and chickpeas have just gone in. Wheat as well. And um, you managed to smack a few in your first night in with the thermal. So how do you how do you go about how did you get onto the thermals, and and then and how did you how did we work into it? We sort of skipped ahead for a few other things, but that's one of the big things. And we we get out in the morning, and we're going to get the thermal out in the dark because there's thousands of acres of cropping here that backs onto ridge lines. So we need to find which patch of paddock they're on first before you go stepping onto one ridge when they're three ridges over. Yeah, that's right. Well, thermal hunting for me, I, I came up here in May of 2018. Not with Nick, but with my cousin. And there was a particular section of, um, it was old chickpea stubble that the owner um, used to see them just on last light and they used to be there all night. And I actually walked on there with a torch and I shot one, um, whatever it was, like 10 o'clock at night on that trip. And Nick and I had planned to come up three weeks later and I wanted to get a thermal because this place gets dogged pretty heavily. um, And... As most people will know, the more pressure you put on pigs, the more nocturnal they become. And Rob, the the owner, definitely wants them gone. Um, he's not, you know, he's not one of those people that likes seeing them around. So, I thought to be the most effective hunters we could be, a thermal would be the go. So I initially hired one, and one of my highlight stories on um, Instagram has that that whole hunt on there. But it was just revolutionary to be able to see at night where they are, and we only. I mean, we shot a few from the vehicle, but 
um, most of all of our hunting was still on foot and you pretty much take the hunt as you would during the day. You're still testing the wind, you're still planning your stalk um, and you're still trying to pick out, you know, as much as we were trying to eradicate numbers, it's nice to, if on your first shot you can drop the biggest boar. So we're still picking out boars, looking for lone boars and things like that. And um, that, uh, that convinced me. I had to buy one after that. And um, so where who where do you look to hire a thermal? <sighs> I might get his name wrong. I think he's night vision to show. He's That's a right. lo- he's probably a, won't listen. He's a lovely bloke, and I think I did tell a few people on Instagram, and he had a discount code for people who mentioned my name um, that I put in contact with, and a few of them. I don't, I don't even know if he's still doing. I should shoot him an email, but um, it was it was a good business because I can't remember what we paid, but like it's a really good introduction and yep. to see if it's because. If you've ever looked, then they're not cheap to buy. Oh, you always say that with um, expensive cameras. If you're in the city, you can hire a camera to, oh, really? to test the camera out. You go to a high camera because photographers will fly in and want to bring all the gear, so they hire all the gear and then oh. use that type so you can try it out. Same with cars. You're going to buy a car, go and hire one. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. you can and see what it's like. But Yeah. Yeah, for something that you're going to drop thousands of dollars on, mm. um, whether it be a scope or a monocular, what do you call a monocle? Mono- monocular, monocular, yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, it's a really good idea, and, and it looks cool, and it's, it's a big thing on the videos now. But how, like we're looking through the other night, it's the first time I've ever had a look, mm. and it's, and you were talking about the sheep and cattle, it's mm. quite, yeah, difficult. You can tell the pigs are different size and stuff, but if you got them in a mob of sheep or... Yeah, that's yeah. right, and, and that's why hunting on crops is so effective, because unless it's later in the season where a farmer's already decided to put his cattle or sheep on a crop for feed, if they're, if they're going to harvest them, you know there's not going to be any stock on them. Yeah. So if, if they're on there, it's either going to be, you know, a native or, or feral. Um, but pigs glow because, um, as we know, pigs don't sweat and they just glow red hot. They, they glow hotter than anything on a thermal. Maybe a cow. Cows glow bloody hot as well because they're so big. Yeah. But ther- um, pigs glow. And from a distance, you're never going to be able to say, except if you know that there's no stock in that paddy. Um, you you never, can't confirm. You can't just You can't say confirm, but at the same time... If you know what pigs do, how they move, um, if you see, obviously, like a trail, like a mob, um, and just the way they're skittish and they skirt around a crop and they'll fight, and, you, you know, you've got to keep your ears open or, you know, keep listening as well. Um, then you, you, even the other night I saw them from a probably, you know, where, we, where we've been yeah, it, I spotted them from the road there. An easy a K and a half. Yeah. Yeah. And I could just tell straight away they were pigs, but... Um, I walked up to them. I didn't see them for 40 minutes uh, as I stalked so, in. So you're spotting them and then that was what we were talking about, finding a position. So it's not a thermal scope that you're sitting on your gun. It's a thermal monocular. monocular. Yep. So you're spotting the game and tonight it wouldn't be hard. It's so bright with that moon tonight. But yep. um, then you stalk in on them and get close. Mm-hmm. And so, you, yeah, these were... Your 45 minutes, you still didn't know if you are going in the right spot and they could have moved. They That's right, because um, as you know now, the... All the hills here are terraced for the crops. So you could be, and I was, like 50 metres away and you can't see them. Yeah, sitting, of, sitting in the dip of a contour bank. That's so, right. Yeah. All the curvature of the hillside. Um, but yeah, I, I, I still sort of made a mental note of where they were. And then I popped up over this little um, contour bank and I, I was right there. I put a bit of footage of that. I mean, <laughs> I still look at it now and being like, Jesus, they looked like cows. They yeah. were just so fat. Um, 
Yeah, that sow, she was round. Yeah, she was real like, fat. Literally just round like a ball. And you got the other thing about thermals, it throws your senses off something strange because at least with the monocular, you're only looking through one eye. So your vision's dominated to a certain uh, sort of right-hand side or left-hand side. And your depth perception's also thrown out. Um, so well, you might... We, we, we sat in that same spot, didn't we? Mm. And you're like, there's a fox just there. We were in there yeah. last night. Was yeah. it last night? Yeah. yeah, it was last night. Last night in the, and it was that darkest hour. Before the sun horizon was still lit up, so it was really dark, but yeah. it wasn't. And then when the moon got higher, it was brighter. And that fox was like 20 metres away, and I'm ready to hit it under the full moon, but I just couldn't see it. But And you couldn't tell looking through the 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 night vision that, it's like right there, but it's not right there, but it is right there. Yeah. It's like you've got no idea of what distance it's at. Yeah, it takes a lot of getting used to. I think the first time we used it, that trip that we hired one, I actually had my um, Suaro binoculars at the same time and I was range finding the closest tree to where the pigs were because you could still see the silhouette of the tree. So yeah. that's how we started getting a bit of a gauge. I think some thermals now have been built range finders. It would be so handy. Oh, yeah. God, that would be handy. Because um, mm. we walked up. You know, for rifle shooting, way more, way too close, closer than we had to, um, and spooked them. Well, that happened really early on. Um, but anyway, I hunt with a torch on my rifle. Uh, Olight or yeah, a different uh, brand? Olight, um, Javelot, and uh, I, after like I, st- I watched them for a good two minutes just to make sure I wasn't going mad that they weren't cattle. But as soon as you put the torch on, I, I you know, I could tell they were pigs and. Um, I shot the biggest one that I could see, that big black sow, and then I swung and saw another black and white sow running towards me and shot her, and the rest of the mob just disappeared after that. But it's good to get two breeders down and off the crop. It kind of adds a new... Like, I know a lot of pig doggers will do, like tonight, it's so bright, it's under the full moon. Yeah. It adds another element of coolness, in my book, to Mm. hunting, because it's like a real close-quarters... Hunting, I'm just putting wood on the fire, and um, yeah, you're right there. Like we we were planning, we were hoping, but we sort of must have spooked them too much. Hoping to do the same at night with the bows, but it's so bright to shoot the curve. You don't need the pins or anything. You're getting close, but it's it's just like day hunting at night. You're not really driving around and and spotlighting or anything. You're sort of getting right up on them, flick the light on. Absolutely. Boom. Like, yeah, it's it's no like. Yeah, it's really no different to day hunting, except you just happen to have the ability it's to see. It's just more night. expensive. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's not cheap. <laughs> but I got to say, like I, I'm I'm really glad I spent the money because it just, especially in properties where you've got farmers that want the pigs gone, and if they're nocturnal. Yeah, you got a real because it gets dogged. They're real nocturnal yeah, population. Yeah, you, you don't really like. Yes, you'll get lucky and get a few at early morning uh, or the last ten minutes of um, light, but. The vast, vast, vast majority are going to come out much later, and if you want to do your job properly and help the farmer, um, the thermal will definitely get you get you going in that direction. Mm. Um, it's it is a different sort of approach to day hunting. I mean, you say it's like day hunting, but I mean, there's a few things that you need to you know keep in mind. Obviously, you, you know you've got the cover of darkness to the advantage. Aid, you know, to yeah, as an advantage because. You know, p- pigs already have bad bad eyesight as it is, but obviously under the cover of darkness, you've got that advantage. But you're you're hunting open crops, where obviously you can work in a you know in a straight line towards 
towards the, uh, the animal that, you, that you're going after, but you need to be more conscious of things like wind, um, you know, and, and just pick your angle. You know, I, I know that we've been on several hunts um, with the thermal where you really need to just plan your approach to make sure that you're not going to wind the animal because that's, that's the main sense that you've got to be conscious of. So you've got to be constantly, you know, under darkness, be testing so the do, wood. Yeah, do you, do you powder puffer or 100%. do you just feel it? Yeah, yeah the powder yeah, the, puffer. The, the trip that we did in that um, June, there was an old chickpea stubble crop right next to the main road. And, you you know, you'd have cars driving past. You They would have had no idea how many... There was... At one night, there would have been 80 pigs out on there, just Holy off the main smokes. road. And that's another thing. Because they're used to headlights, they're not, torches don't bother them that much. Um, but in saying that, we only have one approach where we could enter that paddock. And so when we saw a pig that we wanted to approach, if the wind was shit, I remember one, we walked a, a kilometre out of yeah, our way. You just need to walk, all, you do a big circle all the way around. To get the wind right. I mean, yeah. it's not it's not foreign to anyone who plays the wind, but that's, you, you know, you've got to do you all those things. You've still got to things. do it. You've got yeah. to do it. Um, as, yeah, Nick, yeah, like, even more so at night, a pig's less reliant on his eyesight. It's mm. It's all sense. And yeah, the, 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 that sense of smell yeah. and the sense of, well, I suppose, their instinct too, do they, do, have you had them look up and look at you? Like they know you're there? On the, through the thermal? Yeah. No, never. No? None of that freaky stuff? No, yeah, I think, know. I think, um... They they probably let their guard down at night a bit more. Yeah. Um, but I think somewhere here, where they're hunted at night, they're always associated either with a vehicle and dogs. Yeah. They don't expect some bloke, which I've done, to be sitting out in the paddock at 2 a.m. and all of a sudden <laughs> just be... I've had pigs... There's a sharp pain in my head. Is that what they start to feel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I've had um, smaller pigs that I, I did like... I eventually shot them, but I was waiting for something bigger to come out. And they walked past me 10 metres. Yeah, and I was just watching through the thermal, just watching them. I could see their breath, I could see everything, and uh, they had no idea I was there. No idea. I shot them about half an hour later because it was two thirty in the morning. I wanted to go to bed, but um, uh, yeah, they let their senses down a little bit for sure. They just don't feel the pressure. No, that's right. They just let their guard down, go out, you know, have, the, have, a, have their feet on the crop, and it's just another cool way to hunt. But that's it. If you and like we've been talking about this, I've, I've I've picked up the recurve bow and doing what I can with it. But at the same time, Nick and I both live in Sydney. We've driven seven and a half hours out here, and you know, as you've seen, Toby, it's a freaking hard block to hunt with a curve or a compound. Um, and if you want to come out here and have a good time, you know, it's all well and good to to test yourself. But if you came out here with a curve five times and shot nothing, you get pretty dejected. Yeah, you're coming out here. You want to take home. Um a lot of people don't like it, like they don't eat the pork, but you want to take home some freezers full of pork. Yeah, that's right. And um, the pigs we have shot, you've shot, aren't really the ones you want to eat, though. No, they <laughs> haven't a been bit nasty. Yeah, you know, I expected them to, because again, that that oh, I th- actually don't think it was 2018. 2017 was a fantastic season, and the pigs that we shot off this place were just fat, glistening. There was not a mark on them. There weren't burrs on. They didn't smell mm. like the yeah the the boar I shot today. He was he was a good boar, but he had lost a shit ton of condition. But um, he smelled bad. I, I reckon he'd been messing around with those cattle, the dead cattle, probably not getting in there, but trying to do something with them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that 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 year we were really happy to take the meat, and we really enjoyed it. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know, you, you do improve your odds, of course you do. But you know, if someone's only getting out once or twice a year, um, and 
wanting to make the most of it and help the farmer at the same time, then it's a, it's a great tool. Yeah, it might be different when you hit summertime and it gets a bit dry and they rely on water a little bit more. Yeah, that's you right. Start you, to yeah, and I've hunted the dams here as well, heaps of places. At, yeah, in summer and you, you've got an approach then. Yeah. Yeah. So what... Oh, this can be either one. Can I, so where, where did you start in hunting? What got you into hunting? You start, Nick. Um, I got my start through um, family. So I was first sort of introduced to guns and, and, and hunting through my dad. He was a sort of hobby hunter, I'd call him. Um, wasn't Didn't go on you know, hunting specific trips, but we, we've got a, a property in the mountains, um, sort of in the Blue Mountains area, and Dad had a few guns, and, and you know, he introduced us to sort of shooting and target shooting. Um, probably maybe when I was sort of sort of 10, early teens, and, and we did that for fun. Um, when you went out and stayed at the farm? At yeah. the farm, yeah, we just had a shack there, so we shack with a wood heater and it was pretty much like camping just in a, in a shack so we'd go out there get the um get the dutch oven on the fire make a stew and you know sit around the sit around the fire have a yarn and and you know during the day do some target shooting and um and and that was the sort of introduction to i guess shooting and and, and guns and then did you have that desire to shoot rabbits or you enjoyed the target or so we didn't have a whole lot of game on the farm that, that, we, that we were shooting. We did some spotlighting for foxes, so that was probably the, the earliest type of, you know, shooting shooting for, for game that we were doing. We'd just do some spotlighting from the car and, and shoot some foxes from the, from the car. Um, but then I think as we sort of did that a bit and as, I, th- I think, you know, together with Jared, um, he used to come up to the farm and we used to, you know, try and go after some, some game together and then we started taking it a bit more seriously and and um I think it was we started taking it a bit more seriously when we started trying to monitor what was on the property um a bit more and so is this during high school or um yeah during high during high school so it's a pretty it's a pretty hard property to hunt it's got a lot of mountainous scrub and there aren't many paddocks where where um you know you can you can find game that they'd, they'd be sort of bunkered in in cover most of the time so it's the hardest hardest by by far property i've ever set foot on yeah well yeah. that blue like the typical scrubby blue mountains yeah, rocky like steep as anything thick yeah. as anything rocky loud and they're not big numbers the stuff there but it's not in huge yeah. numbers exactly yeah so there, there was goats pigs rabbits foxes um and I think I think we start when we started really trying to have a go is when um, you know trail cameras were coming onto the scene and Jared bought a few and we started setting them up you know trying to monitor um, what was moving around and then we we played around with bait stations um, first with lick blocks that um, we tried with kind of mi- mixed results with the lick blocks and then we moved to sort of you know try trying different types of bait so we tried fermenting some grain and 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 setting them up in little bait boxes and putting trail cameras on them and and that actually worked like a lot better yeah the the i think we did that after the just the dead roos that happened to fall in a really good position um they they tended to work really well early on 
Is it in the, the pursuit of just killing stuff like we all do at some point? Or was it for food as well? Or like, what was the desire? Or to hunt? To purely... No, that was back then, especially... So, uh, we we really got serious when we caught a really bloody good boar on trail camera. Because we'd no one had seen one in the flesh there for... When, I mean, I, I, you did, Nick. You saw one moving across that ridge once or twice... Yeah, very, yeah, it was very, very rare. I don't think any, anyone else had seen one for, like, years. And um, we put a trail camera over some dead animals and got some fantastic photos of wedgies and a white belly seagull, which is still some of the best trail cam photos I've ever taken of Tasco 5 megapixels, like mm. the cheapest, um, oldest cameras. And then... This good ball, and that was in July, I think, 2011. Um, and then it was our mission to get him. We had to get that ball. And? Well, we went back in October because we were busy. We were at high school, we all the things that teenage boys do. But we went back in October with the ambition of setting up another bait station. And... We got there, that's probably the earliest we've ever left for the farm. We got there, I think we arrived at about 7am and we crept up onto where the, the shack was, which is probably one of the larger um, clearings on the property. And we actually had a bit of a, a, a grass fire there probably a month earlier. And because of that, the fresh um, pick had caused wild scrub bulls to all congregate there. And we climbed up towards the shack and there were... I think it was six or seven scrub bulls, all bulls, all bulls, all bulls, mobbed together, and um, we glassed them for a good ten minutes to make sure they weren't just stray neighbours on, because we knew there were scrub bulls there, um, and just make sure there's no ear tags and all that kind of thing, and and there wasn't, so we decided to um, to shoot one, and the one we decided to shoot was a straggler out the back um, that you could tell was, you know, beyond his prime. And um, so I had a, I had my 308 back then, and I and I and I shot him, and then <laughs> we decided to try and drag the whole beast to where we'd previously got the big boar and trail camera, and God bless Ella the cruiser. What 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 model cruiser is it? Eighty series. Eighty series. Eighty series petrol. Um, oh, I would pull anything then. Yeah, we put we put a steel cable around the back leg of this cow, this bull, and we dragged it up half the mountain. And I remember the, 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 the cruiser was overheating and we were slipping and sliding, but we, we got it there in the end. And um, we tried to take some meat off it, but, um, well, we've got a bit of a grass fire here, boys. Yeah, it's be, just a bit of light. She'd be right. And uh, I remember we our knives were entirely inadequate to get through the hide of that bull. And I got through not even half a leg and my knife was just destroyed. Um, so we're like, well, we're not getting meat off this, but... Uh, that worked to our favour because we effectively found a place for the, the pig to get into. To, to or the, we the ambition was that the pigs would be then be able to get into the the, the, the dead beast and start eating it because they can't get through the hide without a cut in there or something. And um, so we did that. We set it in place, put a trail camera over it, and then we that was on a Sunday, I think, or a Saturday. And then we had the Thursday set aside to come back up. You take it from there, Mish. Um, so we come up the the following week 
with the intention of, yeah, I guess hunting hunting that bait station. And big and hopes, big hopes for the oh, big, big hopes, big we, hopes and big expectations. I should add that everyone, did, everyone yeah, doubted everyone us, did. and we were talking big game before because we were like, oh, because you know. you're at like 17, 18, 17, 17 and 18, and we had, you know, we had these photos of this magnificent boar, and I remember these these trail cam photos. There was one distinctively that I remember. I don't know where it was. I still it got was, it. Was it was the the angle or just the the, the moment? That it just managed to, you know, send its um, infrared and take this photo. But the hooks on this boar that we got on the trail camera were just enormous. And I remember it's like this, half his face. This one photo just had this massive protruding hook that took up, you know, half its face. And we were just like, this thing is a monster. It's, it's like, like the dream peak. Like, yeah, in, this, in these mountains, like, this, you just don't, yeah. This huge hooky boar, and we were just like, He's like we've we've got to get him. So obviously we were talking big game to, you know, my fa- telling tell your parents, family, yeah, and everything. And I remember, I remember, I was just like, yeah, this is the weekend we're going to get that pig. And I remember my dad just like being so like, oh, yeah, 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 that's nice, yeah, righto, yeah, boys, good, yeah, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, be excited for me. We're going up to get. Yeah, no, as soon that's, as, oh, as you left, just talk to you, talk to your mum. I don't know what's wrong with me. He's just he's got his priorities wrong. The guy's fucking idiot. He's chasing pigs in the bush instead of girls. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, that was my teenage years. <laughs> we were we were meticulous in our in our planning. You know, we'd planned our a spot where we'd sit we'd you know we'd gone up there like we can't disturb the area so we can't light a fire that night no to, chains know, sit around no chains there's no no noise so we couldn't that's even, pretty hardcore for like that early in your stage yeah like so we were taking we were taking serious you know compromises in our enjoyment of that trip just with you know basic um things like a campfire and that kind of thing just just for the hunt um and and so it, it was a pretty wet weekend as well. I remember it yep. was drizzling. sort of drizzling rain, and um, we took actually a little trip just to scope out the bait during the during the day before our sort of planned sit that evening. And um, as we approached the bait, um, we were, we were probably looking at it from I don't know 150 yards away, and. All of a sudden, we saw we saw movement in the grass. Got our binoculars up, and there was actually a wild dog just hanging around, approaching the the bait in the middle of the day. Hmm. Oh, that would have been testing, not to shoot. Uh, <laughs> the, te- the testing got the better of us. The testing got the better of us, <laughs> and made the decision to to shoot it. And so I got the two four three up and um, shot the thing. Well, but just hold on a second. There's a little bit about uh, this. This one of the the things that I've loved about Guz's family that his his dad's is a Seiko man, and he has a fantastic L four six one Seiko Vixen triple two. He's got a Seiko Forester full wood stock two four three, and that's what Nick had on this 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 hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't an easy shot at all. I think he this 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 wild dog was meandering up the hillside from a dam back towards the bait, and um, it was somewhere between 150 200 yard shot. But uh, yeah, drilled it, drilled it. That's the go. Yeah, and I, I, mean, I rem- and I remember we were we were really cautious about whether to yep. approach the bait or not because we were conscious of scent. We didn't want to scent up the area. We didn't want to sort of do anything that would, um, you know, risk 
you know, lessening our chances of, of the hunt for the, for the pig that we were actually after. Um, but I think we decided that it was far enough away from the actual bait that we wouldn't send it up. Yeah. So we approached it and um, found, found the dog and had a quick, you know, photo and then sort of got out of there just not to scent it up too much. But that was the first wild dog I'd ever shot, so that was a pretty... Um, were they a common thing there? They were starting to become an issue um, down there, so there were a few sightings and, um, you know, there's... But, and since then, we've had we've had wild dogs around and there's, you know, there's... You know, they're, they're transient animals, so they sort of come through... Move in and move, move in and again. move out, but um, we've been down there, you know, at times when the howling has been like really active and, and, you know, we've held them in and stuff. So, so that, that's, that's been, you know, quite a fun, um, animal down there to hunt. But, um, back to, I guess the, the main aim, which was to get the boar. So we went back to camp, um, you know, got, got in our sort of rain gear. I, I remember I, um, we didn't actually have any shooting sticks at the time or any tripods or anything. So, I remember that we had this telescope. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we had this. We had this telescope. Um, <laughs> like for nighttime looking yeah. at stars. For nighttime looking Light, at stars. Yeah. That no one used anymore. I think it was Dad. Like, ah, oh, you know, you can look at the stars through this telescope. And I don't know. I think we must have picked it up at a bloody like, you know, um, council pickup or something. Like, <laughs> I don't know where this telescope came from, but it, there was this telescope there, and I'm like, what if I, what if I take off the telescope and turn it into like arrest for my gun mm. and so that's what i did i took the telescope off and then there was this sort of u-shaped bar where I oh because it attaches to either side of yeah, the telescope exactly. so it screwed it in yeah. it was perfect it was perfect so what i did i unscrewed the telescope and then i got tape i think it was like that medical tape that fabric tape yeah, and fabric like, yeah. yeah wrapped it all up so there was like a nice cushioned you know rest for the gun and so i set up like you know this this three-armed um, tripod for the for the gun, so I had that all set up. Um, I remember we we packed like a it was raining, so we packed like a little I think it was either like a picnic blanket or a tarp to like sit on in the rain and whatever. And we were just committed. We were like, yep, we're doing this. Um, we'd chosen our spot like the perfect little spot in these sort of young casuarina trees, but there was quite a sort of clump of them, so there was probably ten or twelve trees there that we could just sit under um, cover similar altitude to where where the bait was set up so um so yeah we set up there um in the afternoon probably like two or three hours before um sundown and we just sat there in the rain just quiet as i don't think i don't think we even said a word well, we don't, <laughs> to, I don't, to each other we're sitting <laughs> you're, I was, I was, you're <laughs> full like yeah. full mode we yeah. were just full mode i'm telling we toby like when mode. i'm when i'm ambushed you i just I don't. I have to move, but you just you just don't say a word. You just sit and just mm. take it all. It's actually we're, it's we're like meditation. We were annoying the shit out of yesterday while sitting there because we're like, I'm flying the drone. <laughs> Timmy's I'm moving down. Around. Timmy's, Timmy's like walking Timmy's in circles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Toby like gets a, a drone out. He gets a camera out. <laughs> yeah. and I'm like making this beep. I'm like, turn that beep off the fucking camera. <laughs> I couldn't turn the beep off, and then the drone's fucking battery's going flat. And beep 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 beep. <laughs> And the thing in there, we're done. And it landed in a stupid position. Toby had to round to go catch it. <laughs> yeah, it ran in a battery, but yeah, I just think in this guy's had a hell of a lot more ambush experience than me because I've got zero. <laughs> <laughs> this this was way pre-drone, pre-filming even. We weren't even thinking about. So filming what? Where, where the gear were you wearing? Garbage bags with holes cut in them. 
No, that Pro- was probably. Oh, that like, was my first big. My, that was my first big, or my second big Cabela's purchase. Before oh, yeah. that, before that, I only when, ever hunted in jeans and whatever. But when I got, Cabela's shopping still made sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When the, <laughs> Aussie, still but the, Aussie, the Aussie dollar was still probably stronger at that time. And shipping like, wasn't a million bucks. Yeah, that's mm. right. And I had insulated. Well, I've still got the jacket inside, actually, mm. waterproof and insulated. So I was sitting there, just I was sitting happy pretty as Larry. Yeah, mm. I don't remember what you had. I don't think I even had a waterproof jacket. I think I had my old, that, like, that little green khaki, old, yeah. Yeah, khaki jacket that, you know, was my version of, of camouflage at the time. And so, yeah, we set up. We were just silent as, just taking it all in, um, just watching the bait pretty, pretty you know, focused on, on the task at hand. And, um, yeah, it must have been, you know, we were just watching it for hours and, I reckon it was probably 20 minutes mm-hmm. before last light. We saw some movement in the in the ridge line just above the bait. And I just remember the feeling of adrenaline. And and it's, you know, it's a feeling that I still get, but it was the first real, you know, I think am, proper ambush you worked hunt, for it. That, this, hunt that we did. This, this, this so this is Nick's family property. No one had had anyone shot a pig on there before? Before that? I don't think so. I can't recall. I don't think so. Yeah. But not only that, but we like we hunted, uh, I don't know, anywhere to like 12 to 15 times and we'd never seen a single feral animal before this. And and before this, we'd, you know, we'd put up trail cameras like everywhere. We found and prints, we, were, we found wallows, we never saw one. And this was like years, years of just putting up trail cams looking through them i think you know, trail cams were like that year but maybe that year before that was just all on foot like you know never catch up with early them. morning always one step behind never mm. never mm. in those mounds like yeah you, you, you're fluking it if you see them anyway yeah and we'd do damn sits mm-hmm. see nothing we'd put a lot of work into you know trying to hunt something on that property but um so this was kind of the culmination of of a lot of hunting unsuccessful hunting Years, years, absurdly unsuccessful. <laughs> because we didn't, we didn't have much access back then. I mean, this was this mm. was pre, you know, putting in effort to to get access on on good hunting properties or anything. This was just like, you know, this was family properties or or, or, or you know, I don't I don't think we really hunted any other properties. This was just like I, I was always out near Bree and Wild. You were, yeah, yeah, yeah. you were. That's right. But um, yeah, when we saw this, you know, the first signs of of movement. We're just like, oh, I just remember this rush, this rush of adrenaline. It's just like, you know, it's one of those like leg slapping moments where you're just trying to control yourself. And you're hoping that that's that pig coming. Mm, yeah, yeah. And the heart rate goes up and, you know, you're looking through the scope and you're like, oh, is this it? Is this it? And then we sort of come over the ridge and this, you know, it became apparent very quickly that this was a very careful, considered pig it was i don't think it was even sort of moving when we first saw it it was just standing there still watching waiting you know trying to suss out whether it was a safe situation to come out and i remember it just hovering just waiting above this bait just looking around not making much movement very small little steps and then it'd pause turning its head around, 
turning its nose to the air, having a sniff, you know, sitting there for what, what seemed like, you know, minutes at a time. And, you know, it was me just waiting for a clear shot. On your telescopic <laughs> tripod. <laughs> you did. did you still have the telescope attached somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, the 243 was, was resting on, you know, the, the, the self-made little tripod. And I just remember looking through that scope, just waiting, waiting. And then finally it, it moved a few steps forward and it was in a position broadside. Perfect shot presented itself, and so I just looking through the scope, you know that that whole yeah, and I think I but it would have been breath a <laughs> yeah, yeah probably <laughs> yeah, and I, I would have added to it because I specifically remember I had my bedocks up and I saw him just amble past this um, casuarina, mm. and as he turned, I saw the ivory mm. and his white eye. He had mm. a patch of white over his eye. And I just remember going. It's him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we did no like, pressure. Yeah, no I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. But um, I had every bit of faith. Yeah. Anyways, I took the shot. It just it dropped, and I remember it was on its side, legs facing us, and it was just you know it was just doing the old shake, and. Um, Jared took a follow-up shot. Yeah, being the eternal pessimist, I'm like, oh, well, a bit of security won't hurt. <laughs> just put, put 180 grains into him just in case. <laughs> and, um, oh, man, the excitement was just, like, hectic. It was just like, yes! Actually, I remember, I think you hit me in the face with your high five. You? <laughs> I actually remember that. Really? Yeah, yeah, you completely misjudged and fucking punched me in the face. Anyway, <laughs> I couldn't care less. And that that pig, what you pulled the tusk and scored him. Uh, we did out. Well, Nick did his rough score. Yeah, but thirty-one. Is that what you're saying? I think Before? so. I think Nick? I think so. Don't quote me on no, that. No, well, thirty-one is like anything over thirty. As you, I don't know if you know, thirty is the benchmark. Mm. Like anything over thirty is a cracker, mm. absolute cracker. Like mm. anything up over twenty-five is a good pig. Mm. It's also yeah. cool because um, uh. This pig, we, Nick, Nick, Nick um, just sorted the whole jaw, uh, sorry, whole head, bleached it, cleaned it up and everything. And his teeth, uh, to this date, I've never seen a pig like it, absolutely worn down. Mm. Um, and his head was a third of his body. Yeah. We, we, we estimate that from the time we took the photos in July, I could have sworn he was a 80, 90 kilo boar. Uh, but I reckon dripping wet, which he was, it was raining a bit that day, he would have been lucky to push 40 40 kegs. He had he no meat on him. Yeah. He had no... Remember we couldn't... There was no blood. Yeah. There was no blood anywhere. Yeah. It yeah. was very odd. He was just skin and bones at that stage. And, mm. and we, 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 you know, we figured he was going backwards for sure. Mm. And when we came up to him, we were kind of like, is this the same pig? It looks a lot smaller than the body. <laughs> but his but head was massive. His head was massive. Um, and the, the interesting thing was when we... Had a look at the trail cam photos because we we put a star picket on the on the bait and put a trail cam there. When we'd had a look at the the trail cam photos afterwards, we'd seen that he'd been feeding on that bait for the last three nights, I think it was. And um, and every time he'd been feeding on that bait was in the middle of the night, so he hadn't come out before ten p.m. 
That's and, right. Except that and, one day. Yeah, any other night. And he'd just been gorging for literally the entire night, four or five hours. You know, in all, we just had, you know, this photo reel on the trail camera. He was there for in, eight hours. Yeah. All these different positions, you know, legs up on the bait or just like, you know, in, you know, riding his, um, you know, in the carcass, just having a good old feed. And, um, we'd, we'd coined, we'd, we'd coined his gorging the last few nights, the, um, the last supper. <laughs> <laughs> because you, you go, could, I'll have a, have a, have a big feed yeah, on us and yeah, that'll be yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, it just so happened that the night that we'd planned this hunt, He'd, he'd come out on last light, which, you know... Was that, it due that was to the his, rain, do you reckon? Maybe. I think I think it was due to the rain and just mm. a general complacency and he just was that keen to get back there. But we, we were at, we, we were literally... We weren't going anywhere. We were there all So what up. was the plan? You I had a big turn, mag light. You just turn the light on every five minutes if you hear something or see something. Yeah, back then, I'd, yeah, that, that was kind of the plan. I had it... Yeah, we would have been relying on hearing, but I had a mag light. You know those ones that... You cops beat used people to beat with. people, yeah. <laughs> and like, the, compared to an O light, it looks like you're using your, your ah, yeah, phone like a torch. candle with a bit of foil behind yeah, it. Yeah, it, it would have been horrific, but um, but in any event, we didn't need. Oh, it. they were <laughs> shit hot though. It's like headlights oh. back in the day. You didn't need spotlights because your headlights were as good as candles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what got what got you, Jared, into um, into so, the sport? So my my family emigrated to Australia from. Um, Lebanon in the late 1800s and they actually started off up in Townsville, um, northern Queensland and pretty remote areas there and they just, just, it just became part of their daily living to live off the land and I, and I do think that that's what filtered into my, um, my, my sort of family's interest in it. So my dad, my grandfather, um, after he came to Australia was um, very much heavily involved in it. And then my dad was, my dad was going out near Bree and Walgett, mainly since he was a kid. And then he used to tell me stories and it just became like my fantasy. I just, I could not get enough of his stories about it when I was a kid. And then eventually he took me for the first time in 1993. So I was six, five, because I had my birthday out there. I turned six, it was the first time we ever went out to a property out at Walgett. And um, I was just so... I was already hooked before because I think my dad must be a good storyteller. Um, yeah. And so that was the first time I went out. I was five or six and sort of followed along. Dad was similar to Nick. He sort of... He had firearms and knew how to shoot and all that, but he wasn't necessarily a hardcore hunter. He'd be someone who'd be interested to see a pig if you could see it from the car. He'd, he'd, he'd shoot one. Um, but he taught me the ropes on that front and then after six years of age I was just off and running with whatever I could and like anyone started off with small game and then worked my way up to to pigs but my main like all through those years of high school it was always out western New South Wales like um, mainly around Coolabar, Walgett and Brewarrina. That's still a hike like from Sydney. Oh yeah we were in the we were in the car for nine hours yeah, out, out to Bree plus plus your breaks, um, but it was all part of the adventure, you know. It was just such a. I bet you were keen, like when he says, "Oh, we're going out for." Oh, mate, the next always morning. my You're just like always my birthday. Wouldn't sleep that night nah, before. No, nah. wake wake up. My my brother and I would wake up four a.m. Hustle down. Come on, let's get going. Got to beat the traffic, and um, I chose. That's how I chose to spend every single one of my birthdays for the first fifteen 
Did mum ever come out? No. No, no. no. Sisters came out a few times. They loved aspects of it. They weren't keen on the hunting front. Mum, mum. I think <laughs> my dad and uh, my uncle took out their, their respective wives once or twice, and after they saw what happened out there, <laughs> they weren't going back. But they learned that you have to stoke a fire under a donkey to get the hot water going, and then they saw what happened under the spotlight. They weren't terribly keen to go back. Yeah. Um, but it just became part of every single year for for, for me after I was six. Um, yeah. Do you still go out on your birthday? Uh been overseas the last couple of years but i i, I do tr- I can't, actually that's a good question i should make more of an effort with it the problem now is that i'm committed to you know the missus and everything else so there's other obligations on the birthday but um uh, i definitely try I, I love going out in winter I, I love hunting in winter like what we're doing now sitting around a fire with a whiskey and cigar it's uh it's pretty special but that's yeah that's a short version of it and i'm just obsessed everyone everyone doesn't really understand it. My family doesn't. Mrs. doesn't. But uh, they just know it's part of <laughs> who I am. Just it's just y- your time. It's my time and it's what I put the vast majority of my energy into and my thinking. Like most people, when you're home and thinking about hunting, it's, um, it can be pretty distracting. But it's what keeps me going, just planning the next hunt, always planning the next hunt. So you guys, um, you've, you've sort of... More recently got into deer, mm. isn't it? But you did a trip overseas beforehand. Was that a catalyst for the, the deer hunting? Did that spike it or was that just a, a We've thing? always... I think, Nick, you should talk about your what your grandfather did in Poland. I think that's part of your serious history with hunting. Yeah, so my um, my mum's father was a forest biologist in in Poland and he was a professor um and I'm just gonna cult- put my mic down and- I guess culturally and um academically the the forestry and hunting has always been pretty um pretty connected over in Poland um there's obviously a lot of forests over there where um you know the forestry is is growing pines and oaks in big forests and um, along with that comes a lot of, you know, management of, of forests and that kind of thing. But at the same time, it's management of, of wildlife and everything that, that, that goes with that. So um, so my grandfather was a professor in forest biology and, and through that, um, on the academic side, he did a lot of studies on forest animals. So it was you know, movements and, and, and um, you know, breeding habits of wild boar in the forest or it was, um, you know, uh, theories on on genetics and, 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 you know, like I think one study he did was, was um, you know, who, who carries the, the genetics um, for like antler growth um, between that's, that's males, cool stuff. Ma- males yeah, you'd and females, fe- yeah, yeah, male and female red deer and and that kind of thing, and he, he and he was also an avid hunter, but you know that that academia and that that culture of hunting sort of went hand in hand, um, and so he was an avid hunter, and he was a forest biologist, so he was he was kind of a guru, and he was a very cultured man, so he took a very um, cultured approach to 
to hunting and to um, to the to the forest and and the study of wild animals. So um, my mum actually grew up um, in a in basically a um, you know next to where they did a lot of their studies, basically in sort of like a, a campus um, where they had like a lot of wild animals that they kept in captivity. And I, I remember, you know, visiting um, as a child some of these some of these places and you'd have like these beautiful like eagles that they had in, 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 in captivity and they had boar and they had deer and mum always, you know, tells these stories about how she'd always have like... Um, pet animals running around the house like they'd have hedge hedgehogs and 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 all this other yeah, stuff yeah, all the cool stuff it's a novelty the, for us yeah so. yeah mm. so all these fun um you know forest animals you know in her childhood um just just around um but um when when my brother was my brother actually moved to poland after he finished uni um to, to pursue sort of business opportunities but he also is, is mad about the outdoors and had a similar sort of upbringing and exposure to hunting as I did. And, and he sort of latched onto my grandpa as this, you know, guru who, who sort of took him under his wing and, and exposed him to hunting in, in Europe and hunting in Poland specifically. So my brother would go um, hunting with my, my grandfather and, and go shoot roe deer and um, boar with him um, in the forest, which, which was typically um setting up in a tree stand um you know in a in a meadow next to next to a forest and you know sit and wait and i think he 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 relished in that just you know he hearing about all of grandpa's stories hunting stories and living it and and learning a lot about you know animal habits and 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 hunting from him and so that kind of sparked his interest and that led him to um during his seven years of living in Poland, joining a few hunting clubs and um, getting his, you know, hunting license and joining, joining, um, joining, I guess, the, the, the hunting society over there because there's a much more, um, yeah, I, I guess, um, complex process to actually become a hunter in Poland. You've got you, to do, you sh- do shoot tests, don't you? You've got to do shooting tests. You've got to do knowledge tests where you go in and you get firstly tested and then you have to basically do like a dissertation and like and be quizzed by a bunch of people on a panel. On a non-set questions, just random non-set whatever questions. And it goes everything from like, you know, the duck season to identifying um, the age of, of deer and whether they... That you know they they fall within the rules of whether you can shoot them or not, and there's all these complex rules. Um, <laughs> Toby's done detailed videos of fallow deer with the jaw. You're expected over there before you pull the trigger to be able to determine the age mm. with some precision, match it up with an antler description, and the then body and everything. It, it is yeah. it, and you get penalised if you shoot something that you're not licensed for. Yeah, and it is. Incredible! I don't think we met any hunters over there that were confident they knew. Like, I don't think anyone would know. No, but it's like, oh fuck! I hope this is right. You yeah. just go, shit! That's a heavy twelve point bang. <laughs> Deal with the consequences <laughs> later. <laughs> but but yeah. Anyway, so so my brother got involved there, and then he, um, when he was able to, he sort of invited us over as guests um, of him to join him um, in hunts over in Poland. So me and Jared went over there. And um, went on a hunting trip for like two weeks in Poland with him. Um, Apparently the food was good, hey, Jared? Yeah. No, it's fantastic food. (laughs) Um, 
It's uh, it, it, it it's quite rich, however, <laughs> and it's something that my digestive system had to adapt to. <laughs> so you using shooting lanes? Were you guys shooting forest shooting lanes and and being left alone into a into a stand? Yeah, there's the so we did two trips in. I think we did 2014, 2017, um, and this the last place on our on our list we hunted quite a few places the last one was a it's a really highly regarded hunting club and they have guides and everything that sort of manage it but we basically would to make sure you're, do, you're shooting the right animals and you know what you're doing and stuff like that yeah and also to oh i mean some of the one of the experiences i had i wasn't really sure if he was helping me or hindering me but um but at one situation he they, they dropped us off onto tree stands and basically just left you there and you'd sort of stay there and Either shoot or not shoot anything, but um, we'd had a wonderful that that place. They cooked three three meals a day, and I think we had uh, Mish. We had wonderful schnitzels and some description of potato dish, and a really th- rich sauce. And um, I could feel the digestive system working overtime in the tree stand. <laughs> it's middle of the forest. And how high I, up are you? Uh, the tree stand, oh, it'd probably be 20, it's like a 20 foot permanent fixed platform. Uh, maybe a bit less than 20 foot, I'd say 15. And uh, I normally go well prepared with toiletries when I'm hunting. On this occasion, I did not, and for that reason, I decided to try and just hold it and wait out. Wait it out, um, but <laughs> actually, I, <laughs> I was. Sitting down, so I think that must do something to to your bowels, sort of holding everything in place. And then a fox ran past, and just the movement caught my eye. So I stood up to have a look. Um, good, yeah, it was a decent fox. I had a good look at it, and within about five seconds, there was an almighty <laughs> feeling of dread. <laughs> I was petrified because I knew something bad was about to happen. And imminent bowel movement. Imminent bowel movement. <laughs> I had no description of toiletries. I needed to get the hell out of that tree stand. And long story short, all it took was three rungs down the ladder and whooshka. <laughs> whooshka. I had no chance. I've never in my life had that immediate bowel movement. Um, I don't know. This must Put be in s- Aussie language, you shit yourself oh, on a ladder sh- in Poland. <laughs> I shit myself in a very ancient forest. I'm at this like prestigious hunting club in the middle of this forest. Is you know from majestic red stags and there's wolves everywhere and stuff like that. And all I could say was I just shat myself in the tree stand. <laughs> I think I'd already shot my red stag by the time. But anyway, um, it, <laughs> I I managed to get down off the tree stand and all I could think about was. Well, everything below my belt's now useless. Um, I'll probably have to throw out my pants, underpants, socks, boots. But I have to get picked up by this guide, and I'm going to be just nothing around my waist. Um, but after a very careful derobing, um, I discovered there's certain things that weren't damaged. But it was contained damage. It was contained damage. But what I can say, the elastic is, was good. <laughs> what I can say is that uh, the next hunter that was on that tree stand, if he had any good observation skills he'll notice a pair of bonds sticking in about an inch out of the dirt because i didn't take a great deal of time to bury them and uh, i don't think, i don't know bonds what bonds but uh, and my and my uh, socks because they were used for the cleanup process 
<laughs> I don't think I had the heart. I was too embarrassed to tell you. I don't remember what I told you, but uh, it, yeah. the fact that I could get in that car with my pants on was that was a blessing. <laughs> Nothing short of a miracle. I, don't, I mean, it's a win-win. For the, day. I mean, the, red, the red stag the day before was good, but that was better. <laughs> I didn't have to get naked in the car with some Polish bloke. <laughs> so yes, um, in answer to your question, Toby, ra- wonderful food, wonderful cuisine, and wonderful people, but um, it's rich food. It's very rich. <laughs> Um, oh, but you got a red. Was it a fourteen pointer? Yeah. So that was the night before. There's, I've seen some reedy stuff. What yeah, it, it's a magnificent spot where there's basically swamp and reed around this little island, and then there's a big lake behind it. And not only on that trip, but the previous trip in 2014 was that was the most productive tree tree stand as well. Mm-hmm. And I think the day before I was there, Chris Nick's brother saw. Um, a stag walk out of there that was a 13-point shooter, which at, when I say a shooter, it means that you can shoot it and it was within... What do they call it, Mish? Uh, uh, select. Select. Yeah. Which basically the description is something that you're licensed to shoot because the trophy class, which is over eight or nine years, yeah, is res- there's only a certain number of those per club. Yeah, so tags basically. Tags, yeah, it's a tag system, and most of the members get permits for a select, which is either a young deer or a deer that is over the age of four has a crown on one side but not on the other side. So it's basically like a cull. Yeah, it's an, an, an inferior head. But uh, he didn't shoot that um, because it was in the swamps, and the and and the guide was with me. He said, "Do not shoot in that swamp because we'll never retrieve it." Yeah, and and I guess the context for that is mm. any deer that you shoot. Uh, for like in the club has to be retrieved because they sell the meat to um, wild game wholesalers mm. for revenue for the club. Oh, right. That keeps yeah. them going. Yeah. So did you and did you get one as well? Uh, I did. That yeah. Tr- yeah, early in a different spot. Yeah. yeah. One of the other cool things in Poland with the hunt clubs are responsible for managing the property. So if you, so the landowners can't hunt. Yeah. It's only the hunting clubs, but. In one particular spot, wild boar had damaged a lady's crop and she had to be compensated by the hunting club because effectively they hadn't done their done job. Their job. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a wonderful system. So was that, that hunting club, is that a, a generational spot for your families? Like the, the, the extended family in that vicinity or is it away from where you No, that was uh, through my brother. So he, through his um, so it wasn't aware with it wasn't great grandfather. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't generational. No, it was through my brother's network. He got an introduction to someone who was who was a member, and he, um, I think, he got invited originally for a driven hunt there because they do sort of group driven hunts where they invite people along who aren't necessarily members to sort of take part in the driven hunts. Um, Usually. Usually, that's I think at the end of the season where they have um, a whole excess bunch of tags, tags. yeah, excess yeah. tags left over, and they it's actually quite a yeah quite an interesting system where they they you know they get people in who are the sort of um, drivers they go through and the actually flush the, yeah the sticks and flush all the deer out, and then you've got all the hunters set in tree stands at you know all the, the sort of strategic yeah it's a win places. win a win or lose situation you could be stuck and you'll get the whole mob run past you or mm. you could be like one gully over and see nothing at all yeah just hear all the action and gunshots yeah the next one over but my brother's actually my brother's always been really effective in driven hunts and so i think he actually um that one that he was invited to he got crowned like king of the hunt because he had the most um i guess 
you know, hunted animals for it. And I think I think he maybe shot like a red stag and maybe two boar or something. And and that was the most out of anyone. And and then those that those are those photos where you see a ton of roadie or red stags or boars all on the green all grass. lined up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then so they have end of season driven hunt. Yeah, and then they have like all the sort of your know, processions and little like cultural sort of. Um, you know things that things that go along with it, but because he was already in, in, interested hunter and he was quite a good shot, he did quite well. And um, you know he got invited invited into the club after that, and um, yeah, and then he was able to invite us over as guests. So that was that was quite cool. Um, so did I forgot what I was going to ask? I've completely forgotten the question <laughs> I was just going to ask you. I was distracted by someone taking a piss. <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 been an amazing, uh, I guess, eye opener to a totally different culture and totally different system. I think it sort of came from probably um, like the sort of communist, um, sort of socialist ideals that you know the hunting rights were sort of because there's so many small landowners and small farming plots that the sort of hunting rights got distributed over an area and then got sort of you know organised through hunting clubs and but it it's actually like a you know there's a lot of benefit that comes along with that because with that you've got centralized chillers and um and then you know i guess a source of a, a way of distributing game meat into you know um wholesalers and and that just means that you know on on a lot of restaurant menus you've got wild game you've got wild boar that, you've got that's wild in-house deer. stuff it's not it's it's not farmed in another country yeah exactly it's, in, it's in-house it's legitimate wild and it's game legitimate free-range wild game that actually you know gets properly tested it goes to the chiller you know they take samples of all the all the boar we had um, to provide like blood samples and liver samples of yeah, every blood, animal we blood shot. samples and liver samples of every animal it goes to the vet gets tested uh, make sure it's all clean and then it gets sold onto a, a, a wholesaler um, and then gets you know distributed into the system, so nothing goes to waste. So uh, did you, that was my question. Did you have to wear hunt? Did you have to wear traditional attire? No, no, we were <laughs> no. wearing good old first light or hunter's element camo over there. Yeah, yeah. Because I know that some places you have you have to wear like blue, certain colours, like um, and set. In, no, but I don't like it. Depending on how strict the um, not in this, no, 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 that one. But it's it 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 actually um, it's a good system because it requires everyone to take very um, like a lot of attention to even butchering and preparing the animal, you know, straight after shooting it. For example, I'll tell you sorry. So when I shot my stag, which we recovered on the edge of a cornfield that it sort of ran into and then fell on the edge. When we pulled it out, basically after you shoot it, you get in touch with the local game warden, and the game warden comes comes with, you know, a trailer or a ute or something um, to to recover the recover the beast and then take it to the chiller. But in the meantime, you basically have an obligation to firstly gut um, gut the animal, and then um, hold on to, you know, the the, the heart and. And, and yeah, I was going to ask, what's it, what sort of offal do you have to keep? Liver and heart? Liver and heart, yeah. And then you get rid of the rest, but at the same time, you're meant to um, make incisions into the, the rump along the, um, what is it, the pelvis, um, just to start cooling the meat. Oh, righto. 
Is it even that hot over there? No. no, but just just to start cooling it, just so it it doesn't. Um, so where you'd cut it away from the the spine and the hips and the pelvis, exactly. you need to cut that in preparation to cool those big rump muscles down. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, and I was doing it at the time, and I hadn't had well, I had a bit of butchering experience, but not too much. But I basically I probably didn't take enough attention to, um, you know, doing that step. And then I remember when the game warden came, he had a look at my, my cuts and he's like, he's like, oh, bloody hell, you've ruined the rumps on here. <laughs> that You're going to you're gonna have to pay for the difference because I don't know how much these rumps are going to be worth in this state and we're meant to be selling this on. And so, like, it really made me think. I was like, oh, shit, you know, like, this is like, this you is taking... feel a bit so more amateur right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's real serious business. Really serious. Real serious. Like, they, they rely on that revenue to, you know, keep the clubs going and make sure they're... Um, and and like all they that meat is being used as yeah, well. Yeah, they got, they got the education up first, so everyone it, gets it, educated. Everyone gets educated. And everyone has to be able to earn, do... Earn your ticket to, yeah. to kill and then... Exactly. That's only because it's a small environment. They'd overshoot and over, like over harvest and then the numbers would go down so that'd be for num- you wouldn't have to do that but the education sounds great yeah for yeah. um the education and the usage yeah yeah so awesome. so yeah i guess the system over there is very different but it has its benefits and it, it, it does provide a means for infrastructure where um you know all that game meat is being used and it's it's going into restaurants people are eating it and you know, nothing, nothing really Self-supporting, it sounds like it's slightly independent in the industry through yeah. that. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. But, and then the, other, the, the the wonderful outcome of that is that <clears throat> there is a common purpose in terms of trophy management. And that's mm. why there's such a fantastic quality ahead there that, you know, in Australia, obviously, no one needs, you do whatever you want, shoot whatever you want. But mm. over there, because it's so regulated, there are animals that will grow to 10 years of age and reach, you know, close to maximum potential yeah a lot because you get a real real serious penalty if you shoot a good stag that's under nine years old but also all the animals are public uh uh, they're not owned by anybody are they no so over there all the animals owned by the state or whatever it's classed as where and that's why you need permission to kill them yeah yeah and you also yeah there's uh, like one of the penalties if you shoot a stag that's outside of your class or your tag you like two years you get banned mish from shooting another stag yeah, so yeah. you've so, so basically the system is is that um, any future trophy, so any um, you know, say for example a red deer over the age of four that has equal crowns is considered a future trophy. Mm. And so, can't be shot till it's eight or, yeah. or ten or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so if you shoot one of them, you basically get penalised. You get a red dot against your your record for that year, which means that you can't hunt red deer the next year. Yeah. Yeah. And is it like my um, mate from uh, Estonia or, or where's... Um, even... Um, well, didn't, oh. didn't, didn't you use Estonia as that where all the hot chicks are earlier today? Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. but I'm talking about Benny Solaris's <laughs> missus now. She, okay, where she comes from, the hunters are high held in high regard. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, massive. It's, it's like you're noble a, sport. You're, you're, yeah, you're a no, you're a real man. Mm. Like you're a noble person, and 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 I suppose it's like that. If you insult that level of rule, mm. you're like really that's it's the way to to be a, a good 
a good man in the community. So yeah. like mm. yeah, so if you if you insult what they've developed, um, it probably wouldn't look good even if you didn't get the red dot. The the community in that area'd be like you just that's the dude that shot that little stag. Yeah, yeah. I mean they they consider it, you know, a privilege and you gotta you gotta abide by the rules and it's not like a, you know, right where it's just, you know, kind of lawless and, and you, you do what you want, which is it's quite different. Definitely see the benefits. And, you know, I, get, I guess it's very different to the system here where, you know, I mean, often you, you, you hear the thinking here that like, ah, uh, if I don't, you know, if I don't shoot this future trophy now, someone else someone might. Else um, it's a very different thinking over there, whereas it's like, you know, there, there's a bit more safety and like, Okay, well, I'm not going to shoot this future trophy. Neither will anyone else. So it's giving everyone, I guess, it's the security chance. security as well. Yeah, yep. So that animal's secure because of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, yep. it's giving everyone the chance to hunt a future trophy because they're all being left to actually grow to their full potential mm. by everyone because everyone's got to follow the rules. So it just means that there's there's a lot more animals reaching that trophy stage. And um, I think it, it just generally improves the quality of um of game that's um that's over there and and it also teaches teaches you an appreciation um for just observing animals and and you know watching them because you'll see a lot of future trophy deer out there that you're just like well you've got to identify obviously in the field and you're like all right well that's got crowns on both sides i know it's not nine years old because it doesn't look that old it hasn't got you know the the sort of typical, um, typical signs of it, you know, the, the the neck shape, the the hair, the you know, the general, um, you know, look look of of the animal, and and once once you once you know that you can't shoot it, it's just like okay, well, I'm going to observe this and and just really enjoy being here and you know enjoy watching the animal in its in its natural habitat without yeah you know the um, yeah, without the temptation of shooting. Yeah, well, it's a bit like um, you guys watching younger fellow this year, like yep. rutting. You're just like, mm. just watch it and learn from what it does. Hopefully, you can benefit that when it comes time to yeah, the, that's it. And the more it, mature animal. Mm. Yeah, I always remember in 2017 our very first hunt. I sort of planned where we were going to do this walk. We did this walk. It was early afternoon, and the most picturesque scene: a 14-point stag walked out. Mm. He was young. But he was just had magnificent. He was fairly narrow, but but just beautiful antlers, good genetics. Was that across the river there? Yeah, and yeah. it was across this little little stream. And I was selling Chris. You sure this thing's not a effing? Oh, fire almost blew up on us. Uh, not a bloody shooter. And he was like, No, 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 that's not a shooter. So we just watched this, and I filmed him for a while, and it was just magical, bloody mm. magical. But yeah, so Toby, that that was. We actually, so when we were talking about all those unsuccessful hunts down at Gorzo's, we, we did look for deer because I remember I got a photo from your dad. There was a one hind mm. that someone photographed on the farm early 90s. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I should revisit it, but I, could, I still would never be able to tell if it was a, a rooster or a red. And I, oh, right, the yeah. amount of... Because um, there's both in that area, isn't there? The we roof. now know there's both, yeah. Mm. But the amount of, what I used to do is find national parks because they used to have a biodiversity report and I used to always download those to try and see what species were found there. Yep. Um, but even probably to this day, but back then there was no 
differentiation of deer. They just said deer, full stop. Yeah. So I never used to learn what was there, but um, we, we we thought we found tracks occasionally of deer at Guzzo's. Never saw one. Um, that's when we started hunting deer by looking for them. But we then, we just, it was an access thing for us. We, ne- mm. we, we just never had the opportunity to go somewhere which had just, you know, re- regular supply of deer until pretty recently. And um, Did you ever hit the state forest? Uh, I've hunted one state forest. I hunted um, Nundle, but only for a, a I night. I think everybody has got an R license has been to Nundle at some point in yeah. time. Yeah, well, I found deer the first night, and um, it was just too dark to shoot, but um, uh, that, that, that was literally a month before I, I found some really good fallow access, so regrettably I haven't gone back. I, I think dudes who go and shoot um, good bucks or stags in, in state forest, I love that. I love the idea of it. Some dudes who do it so well, and hats off to them. It's something. If I had more time to dedicate to it, because I'm sure it's a lot of work, I would love to do it. But haven't done much state forest hunting. No. Have you, Gus? You've been to a state forest? I don't think I've ever been to a state You've forest. You've done some hunting. Vic public land hunting. I've done some Vic public land hunting, which I love. Um, big fan of of getting into the the forest down there and, and chasing sandbar. Some of the hardest hunting I've done, but also some of the most rewarding when you, you know, finally get onto deer. And I remember the first time I heard a honk of a of a sandbar. It was just so foreign to me because it's just such it's just a sand like that doesn't come out of the bush. <laughs> no. That's why. And you know, you 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 know, you're climbing up these these ferny gullies, um, you know, trying to be as quiet as you can, crawling through this. It's it's weird, isn't it? Because it's thick. There's thick scrub up the back here, and there's thick scrub where I hunt, but it's not mm. Vic bush. No, it's not it's Vic different bush. bush. It's totally different, but um, I absolutely love it, and, and that's one type of hunting that I, I try and, you know, set aside time for every year to, to head down to the um, head down to the Vic, Vic Highlands and get stuck in, but, but yeah, I mean, that's... that's, that's he's, got a, he's got a proper pack now, so you can take him. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have a bloody frameless Eberly stock that <laughs> threw my back out for a week. We recently backpacked into... So when we're talking about Guz's farm, it, it got destroyed by fires on New Year's Eve, Mish? Uh, New Year's Day. New Year's yeah. Day, and every single structure on 2,500 acres was destroyed. Yeah. And uh, so we backpacked in. And the road got trashed by yeah, and then there was, rains afterwards. Yeah, and so every... Like the, the uh, all road access was completely washed out, and it was just the destruct. I've never seen anything like that. And the, the the fires were so ferocious, and then only a month or two months later to have those torrential rain and and washouts. Mm. And we backpacked in there, and um, it was pretty surreal. Like we saw one kangaroo the whole time, and whereas usually like we'd no see, bird life. We'd see kangaroos on every paddock. Yeah, but. There was wild. Luckily, we came across wild dogs. It would have been having a field day. Oh yeah, that. you got one. Yeah, yeah and, one I, and I shot, shot one of those wild dogs. But um, yeah, that was the last time I used that Eberly stock, and I ditched that after that trip. That was certainly no good. Got a proper pack now, so. Yep, I think it's time you go. And you're getting, you're stepping it out, aren't you? In your range of shooting. With what? With the 300. You're yeah, getting a bit it's further. You're stretching your legs. Yeah, I've got a 300 WSM that I kitted out that is pretty good out to a kilometre. I haven't done much shooting with it for a while because I've been doing practicing other things, but it's something that um, 
I wouldn't mind testing. Oh. <laughs> puts the headset down and puts the wraps around his foot. <laughs> Good job. Yeah, so yeah, that'd be the next. Yeah, that could be something. The to next Zubtech video will be uh, Samba hunting. Samba. Yeah, I don't. I'm not. I don't. I don't have a strong urge to long range deer hunt, um, but uh, I certainly want to get down there. 400 meters isn't long range for Samba though. No, that yeah, with my 308, I'd be comfortable with that. But um, yeah, with a Samba, I'd, I'd be very happy to to shoot out to 400 and. Um, with a rifle, I don't. I don't have huge aspirations of being able to go after a sandbar with a recurve. That's for sure. I have aspirations, and they're not huge, but I know how realistic they yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's for, for where I am in my recurve journey. It's not something I would ever. I don't put think. On the list. I think I will hunt them for the rest of my life, and not. Yeah, it'll be by chance. Yeah. I'll probably get down. Uh, maybe not this year. Yeah, I'll try this year. I wanted to go last year. I did. I did a few times actually. Yeah, I remember seeing you went down there. Yeah, I saw a few deer, but um, I went to the high country uh, twice now. Yeah. Yeah, I've been down the high country twice, I think. Yeah, and um, yeah, I'm keen to go back again. Yeah. Hundred percent. I, I, I. That's something that um, I'm. I, yeah, I'm. I'm very excited about it. For me as well. I don't. I don't think I'll be. You know, backpacking way out and looking for one of those very rare 30 inches but um just to get meat from samba the haul you get out of it would be very satisfying that's for sure i look yeah. forward to that so what's on the cards for for this year so you ticked a few boxes you were lucky enough in the rut you guys got to smack a nice mature buck um you got two bucks, didn't you? Yeah, Nick shot two. Yeah, I was lucky enough to get two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with with all of these travel restrictions um, that were going on, we were pretty devastated not to be able to travel to our our um, fellow deer hunting properties for the for the rut that we hunted last year. Um, but I was I was able to organise access to a um, a Sydney property that um, had fallow. Um, and so it was, it was, I guess, new access from this year. Um, like it's exciting to get new access. Oh man. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was really exciting. Um, really exciting. I mean, even I remember the first trip out there when, when I sort of organized, organized this access and I was having a sort of tour around the, around the property and, um, we were just getting around on the gator and then we, we were sort of crossing this ridge line and then, I remember we, we were looking down into this valley and we spotted a herd of fallow just pop out into this clearing. I think there were like 12 fallow <laughs> in this like mob. And I was just like, whoa. I was just like, I didn't even know this. You know, this existed, this existed. In, in, in Sydney and I was just over the moon. Um, and then I, I, yeah, I guess persisted to, to, to get onto the property to, you know, start doing some walks and, and get to know it and then um, sort of, yeah, get to get to know where the where the fellows were um were hanging out and he took his time in getting me on there. <laughs> hassling what every kind of time. Mate, I, is he? I had like sixteen missed phone calls every time he was going out there. Like, What'd you see? Where's your videos? What? And then I, I just was those real subtle where's so when am I coming out? <laughs> I had to, had to put in some ground friends? Had are we still friends? I had to put in some <laughs> yeah, I started questioning it. Had to put in some groundwork with the with before a landowner you, before you bring the extra before, on board. Before before I, you know, throw it throw in that I'm 
you know, being accompanied. But no, we we got on there and um, yeah, we were lucky enough to to get onto some um, some nice bucks over the rut. So we ended up um, ended you didn't up go hungry. No, ended up filling the freezer, making some make, making some nice venison sausages from it, and and getting a couple of getting a couple of heads out. I mean, the genetics genetics were um, not very palmy in that area, but I mean, it felt really good getting onto. I think it was a sort of six six ish year old buck who was um yeah, the the dominant buck on our on our on our second hunt. We we um yeah, we had to had to work for it. Oh god. We found an area um on the property where, where they were rutting and where we heard croaking and it just so happened to be thick thick jungle that I kept th- telling you to crawl into. Yeah, thick lantana <laughs> followed by a thick is it African Viney. olive? What's it, what is that stuff? Yeah, I, I know there's African olive there, but I don't know what this thick viney stuff was. But it was just, it was just horrendous. Um, you know, even finding a path through this stuff was horrific. But yeah, we got our. F- I think one hunt we got there, and we just heard the croaking, and we were like, we were like, can we even get through that stuff? So we, we, I think we, we tried doing it and got maybe like five meters in and we're just like no this is a try to rattle him out this is a bad idea and so we gave up the first time and then the second time we were out there heard the same well we think the same buck croaking coming from exactly the same area deep in this thick stuff and we um ended up just making the call just to get in there so we dropped our packs on the fringe of this thick stuff and just it was it was it was a week after the first time, and I'd spent a considerable amount of time on the phone to Toby. And oh. he said, "Yeah," <laughs> and he's so like, "He just said, there. take your packs off and get in there." And I was like, "I'm a big I dude. I'm a big gronk. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't. How am I going to move through these vines on my freaking hands and knees? And what's to say we get in there and we fucking mm. don't spook them? But um, mm. it was certainly worthwhile. Whatever you did, it was the right thing." It was it was a it was a really exhilarating hunt because we heard this croaking the whole time and and the fact that we were you built a connection once you hear the same deer a few times and yeah. you know the areas in you're yeah. like yeah I yeah. want to I want to meet so him. intrigued yeah. by him yeah yeah and it, it's funny because that first that first hunt when we were kind of trying to figure out where we where he was I remember dropping a pin on Google Maps where I thought he was and the second hunt we were just we were just charging through this thick stuff, you know, and and it felt like, oh, it just felt like the hardest thing, you know. You'd be ducking, you'd be weaving, you'd be, you know, climbing, and then you'd get to a dead end, and you'd be like, oh, I need a backtrack. This is way too thick to go on any further. Backtrack, find a yeah. new path, and then finally we found a, a pretty used game trail that, we, that that got us through to an area that sort of opened up, and then you know the croaking gets louder, and then all of a sudden we're approaching, and we kind of opens up a bit more and you know started seeing a bit of sign and the whole time croaking in the background and then I remember on that approach when we when we were coming up we just heard the the clash of antlers and that was the first time I'd heard it in real life and it's just it just gets you gets you going and you're just oh, like bucks fighting yeah, yeah bucks it's fighting. like I'm on it's on yeah. it's like mm. it's you're just like we've, you know, we've got into the area where the action's happening, and it was, um, it was totally exhilarating. And um, I remember when we when we got into this clearing, and as you know, a moment after we heard this, the clash of these antlers, we were just sitting there, and we we heard some movement coming out, so we just stood still, and out trots this buck. He just had this, you know, just had this defeated look, 
about him the way his he head was just down a little head bit. was down no and no nothing no and he's just like trotting out of the bush and we were just like stood there perfectly still and this and this this buck came to within what was it 10 yards or something of us um before he actually noticed us and then he kind of like bounced out of the way um but we knew we were in the thick of it when that happened um and then you know all the time this constant croaking from this other buck we ended up getting in there finding a spot where we could see into this thick stuff where this buck was just pacing back and forth um and then ended up yeah deciding to take the shot and and luckily got him and um yeah it was just it was just awesome ended up um taking the cape and taking taking all the meat out and packing both of our packs full of full of all the meat that we um had to is that what we ate the other night last night yep that was about his back strap no one can ever say anything about the like i I always say it's all right i hang it but you didn't even hang it yeah no he was wet aged and i was tender as one of my pet peeves and i haven't been eating fallow for as long as other people but people will tell you, you know, you hear the old one that dogs turn their nose up at rutting bucks. Yeah. This 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 thing was in the peak of his rut. Peak rut, yeah. In, in a lek. Old deer. Old deer, six-year-old, in a lek, going he, off he, his head. He'd been rutting for weeks already. Yeah, we'd know. heard him croaking for at least, yeah, weeks before. And it's magnificent eating. I, I was pretty shocked at how tender it was the other day. It might be your cooking because you're a pretty bloody good cook. But mm. Yeah, I was in a bit of awe, actually, at, at how good that, because I'm a shit cook. <laughs> I'll hang it long enough so it's almost rotten before I eat it. That's why it's tender. I want to, I, I want to try that, but in Sydney, it's not, not not too easy to hang meat unless you have a good cool room or something. Oh, yeah, I just see him in the fridge. But oh yeah. So what's next then? We'll crap. We'll, we've we've been trucking a long time. We've been waffling. Well, um, some good stories though. So what's next for Dubtech Hunting? Just keep smashing Australia up or what? Yeah, I I I've I've found that. I particularly enjoy when there's a bit of a connection to the land. And when I went to Poland, um, because of everything I've learned through these guys, I did feel like there was a connection there. So I enjoy hunting there. But I'm not one of those people that just wants to jet off somewhere and shoot something in a different country. I, for me, being out here in a property that I'm familiar with and hunting pigs is as enjoyable as any kind of hunting. So, yeah, around Australia, um, I think our next trip will probably be peak July to go and get some fox pelts because we're now both proud owners of some old Seiko triple twos and I'm very keen to get some fox pelts done, taxidermied and either make a hat for myself or... You shoot more than that mm. and make a full couch or something. A mm. couch? Not imagine, a fox Imagine getting a second-hand couch and having... If like I was a single, s- that would probably be a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> no, you got a garage? <laughs> but yeah, I think that's you might, You might but just get one first and then become single. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, my missus won't listen to this, so that's good. Mm. But that's probably the next thing. I, I, um, I don't know, after that, we'll just keep working away. I'd, I'd, my ambition is always to try and find a red red property, so we'll keep whittling away at that. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited for the fox hunting. I've, I've, so my dad's triple two has currently, well, is and has currently had a bit of a makeover. Um, it wasn't really cared for, so I took it to a um, a gunsmith probably last year, just planning on um, getting the the stock refinished. But he he chucked a um, uh, what do you call it? The barrel breach or barrel? No, no, no. The Actually. what is it? The the 
the tube that looks looks at the barrel. They stick in there. Periscope. Oh, that bore scope. That bore scope. So they stuck it down there, found that it, the whole the whole barrel was pitted. So I ended up getting a brand new Walter barrel installed on there. And um, getting the, the stock done. The stock is currently at a stock maker getting refinished in a, a little recoil pad. So pretty much have a refurbished Seiko Triple Two. Just gonna get some fox belts out and and yeah, can't wait to can't wait to use it and get out there and get some get some fox belts. So that should be fun. Oh yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, guys. We had a good chat sitting in front of the fire. The coals are going down. We're gonna get up. Well, Nick, You've got to you're get not up. getting up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yet. <laughs> yeah, I Jay's going to get up because you've got to drive us over at 4 I've got to guide you so guys tomorrow, go. don't I? Thermal scope, find out which ridge the pigs decide to show up on and try and smack some. Get in a boat position. Yeah. Well, the, well, the way that Timmy's been shooting. We don't um, even have to have... You can just close his eyes and point <laughs> at him and hit him at fucking <laughs> 400 metres. you just got to got to see if his nerves, nerves hold nerves up. Nerves can hold up. We'll <laughs> mm. see how he goes. Look forward right. to it. Thanks, Toby. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Toby. Okay. Thanks for having us on. Thank you for listening to the Hunting Camp Down Under podcast. If you would like any information from today's show, please don't hesitate to contact us on huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com or simply hit us up on any of our social media outlets on Instagram or Facebook. Be sure to join us next week for another awesome episode and we look forward to sharing another story from Hunting Camp Down Under. Bye for now.